Good morning, and welcome to episode 435 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller, and you're Ben Lindbergh. Hi, Ben. Hi. How are you? Pretty well. Um, I have a, a couple quick banters, if I may. Sure, me too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Whole, we might have a whole banter episode. Could be. Um, because of my topic, uh, we could talk about the topic longer if we want, but we could very easily talk about the topic in about 45 seconds as well. Uh-huh. So maybe the banter will take up the bulk of our day. Um, so uh, a couple things. First off, did you read the piece on BJ Upton that Jorge Arangure wrote for Sports on Earth today? I have not. It's an interesting piece, and it's, uh, it's sort of, uh, if I, it's not, you know, I, I, like if I had to to give it a thesis statement, it would basically be that B.J. Upton doesn't doesn't have the uh, dread of fear um, necessary to to pull himself out of this state that he's in. Uh-huh. I don't know. The, I don't know that Jorge would say that so conclusively, but that's kind of like the the central thesis statement. Mm-hmm. And um, there's an interesting part in it because um, you know we talked to, when we were talking about how much uh, things, how much we should think about the state of baseball kind of resetting itself in the offseason and whether we should have been excited uh, or kind of optimistic at all that B.J. Upton would get like a fresh start in 2014. Um, and you noted that, um, you know, one of the ideas behind that is you have a whole offseason to fix things and to really work on things and uh, change the things that are too hard to fix during the season when you're playing every day. Right. And Jorge writes um, uh, in noting that he's doing you know, very poorly again this year, and that his peripherals are, are even worse. Um, and, and and then he says, uh, and you can tell he's not worried about it, because he hasn't done much to correct any deficiencies from last year. Quote, honestly, I just kind of kept the same thing, but worked on using my legs more in my swing. But other than that, I didn't really change anything. Hmm. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that would seem to kind of contradict the other articles about all the things he did. I mean... Those articles seem to say that he just went back to what he was doing before, more or less, or tried to, but it sounded like an active process. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, so maybe he needs more of of the fear that motivates you and me. Could be, yeah. Although, um, yeah, no, that's possible. But um, it, it does seem like the sort of thing where uh, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, it it feels to me that you, probably the 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 way that you should behave is the one that is kind of truest to your personality. Mm-hmm. Um, like it could it could very easily be the case that if he were slumping and all of a sudden he became super hardcore BJ Upton who was spending six hours a day in the cage and and tweaking things obsessively that that could be sort of a spiral and that if he didn't come out of it that um, you could change that uh, or sort of a, a point at that. It's, it's very hard. The psychology is obviously very hard. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, who, who really knows? But this was, a, a, I guess, an, an interesting, admirable attempt um, at looking at P.J. Upton. It's very in-depth. It's a good piece. Um, mm-hmm. The other piece, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is a friend of mine told me uh, today via Twitter that uh, Tom Candiotti said on the Arizona radio that no Cubs position player would start for the Diamondbacks. Um, and the Diamondbacks, of course, are terrible. They're in last place. Um, and yet, could it be true? 
Could this be true? Could the Cubs actually not have a single player uh, who could start on the <laughs> last place Arizona Diamondbacks? Let me pull up some depth charts. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Looking fairly persuasive so far. Uh-huh. Mm. The, the Diamondbacks, I should note that the Diamondbacks have the uh, 13th best OPS in the National League um, and the 14th best OPS+. plus. And the Cubs are are eleventh and and twelfth in by those measures. So mm-hmm. they have uh, they have actually out hit the Diamondbacks as well as as out pitched them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it. You wouldn't take you you wouldn't take Bonifacio over Aaron Hill. You wouldn't take Junior Lake over Cody Ross. Probably you certainly wouldn't take Rizzo over Goldschmidt. You. Wouldn't take Sheerholtz over Para. Um, you, I guess, is is Castro and Owings the closest? Uh, Castro and Owings is the first thing I thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess that uh, Castillo Montero is worth discussing. Yeah, maybe. You wouldn't, yeah. You wouldn't take Sweeney over Pollock, and you wouldn't take Valbueno over Prados. So you probably, you probably wouldn't. Although it's worth pointing out that over the past two years, Valbe- Valbueno and Prado, um, there's not a big difference there. Uh-huh. And on a per plate appearance level over the past two years. I think Valbuena edges him. Uh, I'm just sort of eyeballing it. But yeah, on a per-plate appearance uh, rate, Valbuena's been the better player. Mm. Uh, But that's, of course, over two years. If you go three years, it's not particularly close. And Valbuena doesn't play every day, you know, partly for a reason, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you probably would start, what, two Cubs starting pitchers over the best Diamondbacks starting pitcher right now? And the, I would definitely take the Diamondbacks bullpen uh, as well. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Like I mean, I, I think every every di- you know every step down, I I would probably take the Diamondback on the in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. So it's uh it's not absurd. No. Mm-hmm. I I think I think though that um I mean to me. Uh, you got to take Castro over Owings, right? I think so. Yeah, and I I like Owings. Um, what kind of start is Castro off to? Two ninety nine, three twenty five, four sixteen. So pretty typical Castro pre two thousand thirteen. Yeah, exactly, league average, league average hitter, um, and uh, you know who knows about the defense? Presumably mm-hmm. a little bit worse than average. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'd probably probably take Castro, but it's kind of close. I like Owings. I, do you think? Do you consider this to be a problem with baseball that you can have a team where every single player basically is better than every single player on the other team, and still they are essentially equal teams? Or taken a step further, uh, I'm am certain that we could find a team or a pair of teams where this would be uh, uncontroversially true, uh, like say the Astros and the um, I don't know name a team the Red Sox or the Rays or the mm-hmm. you know. A's or whatever, um, and yet there's not there's not a huge even there. There's not a huge difference between them. Like the Astros would still win, you know, a game if they played three, 
is this a problem with baseball that that you just can't really separate yourself at all? Like, does it's? I guess it it allows for things to be interesting over a, a long season. Yeah. On the other hand, it requires a long season. Mm-hmm. I like it. I think it's a good thing about baseball. Uh huh. All right. Yeah. I guess it is. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. What do you want to talk about? So do you remember last year when I had my, I think it was last year when I had my revelation about Sean Markham and I gave up on yeah. on perpetually injured pitchers who Absolutely. Uh, were by low candidates? I've adopted been, that. Yeah. By the way, yeah. I think because I think Castillo is, I, I think Castillo is, is, is a clear edge over Montero at this point. Uh-huh. Um, so I had yeah. this. So I had this revelation about Sean Markham that I used to be a person who would always say if a team signed a talented starter who had trouble staying healthy, I'd always say, "Oh, this is this is a good buy low move. There's there's not much risk. It's not a big contract, and if he stays healthy, uh, then there's a there's a high reward." But I finally figured out that this is not. The, that the reward is not actually that high. That if you get a Sean Markham, he's going to get hurt, and I'm not confident that that there is really any chance of just sort of sneaking a a 200 inning pitch season out of a guy like that. So right, and was, and and I I uh, if I can just add to the mm-hmm. to I loved this piece that you wrote, and I've used this this theory as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the other things that's interesting about it is that it is actually likely that you're going to be a year too late realizing that he has also become bad. Yes, that could be like, also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that that they always go bad before they stay healthy and they always go bad before you realized they were going to. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I had the same sort of feeling about Josh Johnson whom the Padres signed to a 1-year, 8 million dollar deal and and I would say that the reaction, the response to that signing was was pretty positive that people generally did the the you know low risk high reward sort of thing because a healthy Josh Johnson an effective Josh Johnson for 8 million dollars would be a steal but i i gave up on the idea of a healthy Josh Johnson and so now Josh Johnson is having Tommy John surgery again and the interesting thing is that there is a clause in the contract which gives the Padres a 4 million dollar team option on Johnson if he got hurt in mm. this way and so mm-hmm. he has uh, so now the question is do you take Josh Johnson for four million dollars so let's assume that he has Tommy John surgery imminently he's has Tommy John surgery next month he spends the season rehabbing uh, everything seems to go well and it's going as planned and and you know, maybe he'd be ready at midseason or something next year, and he's there's no no red flag in the rehab process by whatever time they would have to make the decision about picking up this option. Are you even tempted to take Josh Johnson at half the rate that he is making this year? I'm a little tempted. I I remember when that option came out, there was a there was some buzz that like, oh, this is this great. This is this great lackey clause that the Padres have have got. It gives them more upside. And right. and I remember thinking that there is almost no way that that clause could be uh, could be triggered 
in which I would want Josh Johnson anywhere near my team, right? I mean, because mm-hmm. it's a it's a very low number. It's like if he made like seven or fewer starts or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so the thing is though that Tommy John is like the one, the one. It's the closest thing to a reset button in baseball, right? It's the the uh, recovery rate is you know is so high, and you often see guys come back at you know so close to full strength. Um, or at full strength. I mean, you know, Lackey being the classic example of it, but, you know, hundreds of pitchers being the classic example of it, mm-hmm. um, that I might be tempted. Uh, however, John, it's not like Johnson's issue has always been his elbow. Uh, he'll just get hurt some other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he hadn't gotten Tommy John, he would still be missing this season for some other reason. Um, and so I wouldn't. The, the only thing about it is that um, that you take a, If you're the Padres... Johnson, I don't know this for a fact, but Johnson probably chose you specifically because you know that's the park that basically that's the park he wants to to pitch in to to rehabilitate his value. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that the that Petco is still as pitcher friendly as all that, but as long as it has that reputation, that seems like something that you could, could you could use if you're a team. So um, you know Johnson is maybe essentially taking a discount to pitch for you that he wouldn't be taking anywhere else. So it's conceivable that Johnson is actually, that Johnson actually was signed for so low below market value that he still was a good deal for the Padres, even adjusting for your expectations, and that he still will be even adjusting for your expectations. I wouldn't think so, though. I would I would just turn down the option. Yes, I agree. And my other bit of banter was just, I mean, I, I don't know if you heard the, the Dirk Hayhurst interview from last week when Russell and I talked to him about Michael Pineda and the things that he had written inspired by Michael Pineda's uh, seeming pine tar sighting in his last start against the Red Sox. And Dirk basically said that if you if you do it that obviously, you you made a mistake, that, that use of these sorts of substances is universal or near universal and obviously we only it only becomes a controversy a few times a year so if it's that obvious if it's as obvious as it was last time he he did this then it's really the fault of the pitcher for applying stuff improperly or just not being more discreet about it in some way and so now in a another start against the Red Sox his next start against the Red Sox Michael Pineda did the same thing, uh, and this time presumably they they told the umpire to check, and he did, and he was ejected from the game in the second inning, and uh, now faces a 10-game suspension. And Gabe Kapler tweeted that this was like getting pulled over by a cop, him not giving you a ticket, and you peeling out in front of him as you drive away, which... Uh, Seems like a pretty good comparison. And this is, mm-hmm. I, I, I almost, I mean, I wonder how how he could have conceived of doing this again so obviously. And even more, I, I wonder why no one on the Yankees said anything or, you know, told him to be more careful because it was it was clear that he had done something and he, he said he was, uh, I don't remember what his, he said it was just dirt last time or it, dirt got wet and got muddy or something something like that and of course the substance whatever it was mysteriously disappeared mid-game once people started talking about it so this is uh 
I don't know. This is this is evidence that Michael Pineda is is possibly the worst the worst cheater in Major League Baseball. I will give him that title. Yeah. So presumably he will continue. I mean, since everybody does this, since everybody has their sticky stuff, presumably he will continue to. And I wonder if um, if he'll figure out a way to get away with it, or whether he's now fair game. Whether he's like sort of the one guy who uh, isn't isn't exempt from this rule and, and people will be watching very closely. And you know, the, the rare time that, you know, that the internet discovers it or something, cause internet's often discovering this sort of a thing, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that action will be taken or if all he has to do is basically just, you know, keep up appearances and he'll get away with it starting now. Mm-hmm. You know, people ask John Farrell after the last start, you know, if you face Pineda again, would you say something to the umpire? Because, of course, he, he didn't say anything last time, and it wasn't clear. Listening to him, it sounded like he hadn't become aware of it until the substance had been removed. But it wasn't clear whether it was that or just the fact that he was hesitant to challenge because Red Sox pitchers do the same thing or the same sort of thing and have been caught doing the same sort of thing or spotted doing the same sort of thing. And, and that would make you hesitant as a manager to challenge because then you invite challenges from opposing managers who may catch your pitchers doing the same thing but someone asked him if if they face Pineda again would he check and he kind of gave a non-answer but I, I mean I don't know how if you're Michael Pineda you're not aware of the fact that this became a story the last time you pitched against this very team and that if you do exactly the same thing you're likely to get caught this time so not not the smartest move on his part he did hide it on his neck though yes like who's looking at a guy's neck <laughs> right it's yeah. it's the it's the part of your body that just blends in so seamlessly to the rest of the world uh yeah not seamlessly enough in this case mm. yep okay okay um all right so then to the topic which mm-hmm. we can do relatively quickly uh when miguel cabrera signed his extension there were two scary stories that were brought up uh, to uh, to point out how much risk the Tigers were taking on. One was the Phillies signing Ryan Howard two years before they had to. The other is the uh, Angels signing Albert Pujols for a massive, massive, massive amount of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though Pujols was the best player in baseball at the time, uh, it became clear how quickly things could go south for big sluggers uh, around the age of 30 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those were kind of the two... Uh, you know, the two precedents for why you shouldn't do a, a deal like Cabrera. And Cabrera, on the other hand, is is at the top of the game, was at the top of the game. And uh, so even though this was, uh, you know, I would say widely panned as a move, uh, probably not as, I, I would think not as widely panned at the moment as the Howard and Pools deals were because both of those guys looked uh, like they were pretty bad and weren't going to be very good. So I wanted to reassess because um, Howard right now, is hitting 276, 364, 526. He's having a, a good month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Albert Pools is hitting 284, 351, 625. Mm-hmm. I believe he leads the American League in home runs and slugging percentage. And you wrote about uh, how Pools had very quickly turned things around and gone into 500 home runs uh, with a bang. Mm-hmm. Um, Cabrera, meanwhile, is hitting 236, 295, 403, which um, is easy to overlook, but uh, as Dane Perry wrote 
Uh, he's basically in a 200 plate appearance slump right now, going back to late last season and including the postseason. And uh, the injuries that you might point out to excuse the second, uh, you know, the, the slump at the end of last year are just as easily uh, marshaled as evidence for why he's risky and why uh, uh, his age is a dangerous one. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just wanted to uh, to go over these three moves real quickly and ask you which of the three right now, not, not we're not talking about the entirety of the deal, but right now, which of the three is the worst and which of the three is the best from the team's perspective. So. You have to take on one of these three moves. You're, uh, you're, you're. We'll say you're a big market team, but not the biggest market team. We'll say that you're like a team in the fourth through seventh uh, range in payroll, payroll, like the Angels or the Tigers or the Phillies. Uh, do you want Ryan Howard for eighty million dollars, roughly, over the next three years, including mm-hmm. this year? Uh, do you want Albert Pujols for about two hundred eight million dollars over the next eight years, including this year? Mm-hmm. Or do you want Miguel Cabrera, $288 million roughly over the next decade with two vesting options? <laughs> Such enticing choices. Um, well, my first inclination is to go with with the shortest term. I mean, Howard, uh, we're talking about three-plus seasons, which is so, I mean, it, it's such a smaller financial commitment right and and 2017 is a is a team option for him although there's also a big buyout that's the, um, the buyout is included in this the uh, option is essentially for 13 million for 2017 if you if you take yeah, it otherwise right. it's a it's a 23 million dollar option with a 10 million dollar buyout mm-hmm. so i would certainly expect howard to be the worst of the three players over the next few years but you clear that contract much more quickly um then you then you clear the Pujols or Cabrera contracts. So that's my initial inclination. Um, I mean, if we if we evaluate which of the the moves was worse at the time it was made, I think you could still make a pretty good case for Howard as the worst of them. Um, but it's it's wait 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 you're you're saying you could make a pretty good case that it's the worst of them. And it's only gotten worse since then, and the two best years are now gone from the five. Mm. Yeah, but it's it's so close. I mean, when you you'd be you'd be done with that if you want in a couple of years, just over two years. Whereas with Cabrera, you're you're stuck with that contract through next decade. And and Pujols, what's the last year of Pujols's deal? Um, that's very far in the future also. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think you could kind of reevaluate the contract. I think maybe, maybe the, the labeling of Pujols as one of the worst deals was slightly premature, or at least he was, he was written off a bit too much. And I was sort of guilty of this too, I think over this past winter, maybe we, Maybe we read too much into that injury or, or or took it as a chronic thing, whereas maybe it was more of a, a correctable thing. Um, and now he's just back to being the player that he was before that injury, which was a, a diminished version of the best player in baseball, which is still a really good player. So I think you could make the case that maybe that deal won't look 
completely terrible if if salaries continue to to rise somewhat steadily. Um, but I I don't know. I think I'd kind of just want the one that I can wash my hands of the quickest, which would be Howard. Okay. Uh, you don't put any kind of stock in the idea that there's just not that many good players around and that you have to overpay for good players. And it's not like if you have these, the, you know, the $300 million, uh, you know, available to you, it's not like you could just go out and sign a bunch of all-stars real easily. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's actually hard to, to spend money at this point to some degree if you want, you know, these kind of impact players, uh, and so, you know, the, like there's some, at least there's some value in the fact that, you know, a guy like Cabrera is irreplaceable. You, you know, yes. you can't just go out and get that, that guy. You, yes. you have to, you could get, you know, you could try to piece together a bunch of guys in the old Moneyball kind of way uh, who can replicate it. But, you know, nobody's going to replicate it. It's, it's irreplaceable. So mm-hmm. yes. you don't want that guy? You don't want that guy on your roster, Ben? Cabrera? Yeah. Um... You're anti. You're saying that you don't want Miguel Cabrera as a baseball player. <laughs> I think your statistics have gotten crazy, Ben. You're, you're mm. way out of hand. How can you think that Miguel Cabrera is a bad player? I just heard you say that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, well, I think it's true. I think that's why they made that move when they did. That partially it was that that it's getting really rare to find a star level player on the free agent market, or it's getting rarer and. You look at the the free agent market this offseason, and it looks just awful. Uh, and and it could be even thinner by the time we get there. So, so yes. Um, and I mean, the question maybe is like, how how bad do we think Cabrera is going to get during that contract? Is he is he going to? He's starting from such a high level, a much higher level than Ryan Howard was at when he signed his extension. So. Even though it takes him through an older age, will I mean, how old is Cabrera during the, the last year of that deal? Do you know? Is he forty uh, or forty or forty one? Yeah. Right. So is is Cabrera at forty better or worse than Ryan 40. Howard at at thirty six, thirty seven? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That could be that could be close. I don't know that I would Wait, expect. Yeah. That I would right. expect Cabrera to be worse at any point during that deal than I expect Howard to be by the end of this deal, and the money is not not a you know it's not a crazy amount more, especially given the the inflation of of the last few years of that deal after after Howard's is up and Cabrera's is still going. So so uh, that's a yeah you can make a, a pretty good case for Cabrera I think. Let me continue to make, uh, let me continue, not because I necessarily am choosing Cabrera, but let me continue to make a, a case for Cabrera, a mm-hmm. three, three-step case here. One is that I just read Howard's good numbers, uh, his, his batting numbers. However, he's still, I believe, below replacement this year, by, at least by baseball reference, because he's, uh, his, his defense is so bad that defensive metrics are like, no, no, a small sample is good enough for us. We're good. We, we got it. So he's at, he's like at minus five defensively already (laughs) this year. Um, so Howard is, despite the, the impressive slash line that I read you, uh, a slash line good enough probably for him to make the all-star team if he keeps it up. He is not actually a good baseball player this year, according to that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we know enough to be skeptical of, of April defensive metrics, even more so than usual. So maybe you want to disregard that. But anyway, that's mm-hmm. one thing. Mm-hmm. Point number two. Uh, yes, Albert Pujols was uh, extremely good and appears to be uh, you know, uh, healthy and playing better than he has uh, since, uh, you know, before they signed him and, and, uh, you know, he's, he's a valuable ball player again. Uh, there's lots of reasons to think that Albert Pujols is going to produce a lot of warps in, in the next eight years. However, that deal was heavily backloaded. They signed him, mm. uh, and, uh, at ridiculous rates for the first two years so that they could afford to sign CJ Wilson, um, and do other things, uh, like go out to dinner. And so he basically made like like ten million the first year, and I think like sixteen million the second year, or something like that. So it's uh, it's now it's now the the time when he's getting real real money, mm-hmm. and and simultaneously the two years that he should have been at his best, the two years that he was still you know near if not in his physical prime theoretically are gone. So now you have only the bad years in the contract, and and. I looked at uh, various projection systems when they signed him at the 10-year projection systems, and basically they they thought that Pools would be MVP level the first few years, and then uh, very good the next couple years, and then like right around av- like around year five is the last year where he's supposed to be worth the annual value, and from that point on it's all downhill, and by like year seven, year eight, he's he's average at best, and then replacement level, and. So you've got the two MVP level years that projection systems had seen are gone. Now maybe he maybe he'll get one this year, or maybe he'll even get one next year. But the two years that you're supposed to have banked 13, 14 wins already are mm-hmm. gone, and all the projection systems, every single one of them, basically had him being like you know a 20, 25 win player or so the last eight years. So you've got that player now making much more. So mm-hmm. here's the third thing. Um, you have to assume that these teams do know something that we don't and that they do kind of know what they're doing to some degree. I mean, generally, uh, I think that it, it's fairly healthy to at least start with the idea that they know what, you know, they know what they're doing and, and that it's the onus is on us to find the evidence that they don't and that they've made a mistake. And mm-hmm. I think there, there were people who argued that all three of these were mistakes at the time. But you know, probably given given the feeling that at least the the, the, the teams know their own situations better than we do, uh, you would probably regress all of those mistakes slightly toward being not a mistake. Mm-hmm. And and um, now that being said, though things change after they sign, and so the Howard deal looked like a mistake, and then Howard was much worse than any projection system said, and so now it looks like an even worse mistake. So right mm-hmm. now they have a deal that looked bad that got worse, that got considerably worse when it hit reality. Pools, same thing. It looked maybe bad, got considerably worse when it hit reality. Cabrera's deal's like two months old. There hasn't been that much time to reshape how we think things. So what we basically still have is the deal that he signed and that the Tigers willingly signed and that the Tigers thought with all of their smart economists and lawyers and business people and uh, so on uh, reflected market rate for him. Mm. And so we should probably um, have to some degree um, of feeling like uh, that's still uh, you know, a, a, a move that the Tigers would have been comfortable making or are comfortable making even now or you know, close to now. Mm-hmm. And therefore, therefore it, it might be more defensible than we give it credit for. Yes, that's a good point. Although when people criticize the Cabrera deal and when I criticize the Cabrera deal, it was just, it was basically on the basis of it being a, 
a buy high move that that he was two years away from free agency and you're signing him coming off back-to-back MVP seasons coming off one of the best offensive seasons anyone has had in a while and and why do that basically uh that that if he if they had waited to sign him that it, it almost inevitably would have worked out in their favor unless unless he uh because it didn't seem like they got a big discount, you know. And if you sign a guy two years before free agency, then then you should get some some reward for for guaranteeing all of those years before before you had to. And and maybe that discount was priced in. Maybe Miguel Cabrera is is worth more, or would have cost more than than we think he should have um, or would have. But that was that was kind of the thing that hey, why not wait? He almost almost has to be worse this season uh, than he has been the last couple of years, just because he has been playing at such a high level. And maybe if he comes out and he has a, a slightly worse season, then maybe you get him for less when he's still a year away from free agency. This month that he's having right now, um, unless he has a, a really good last week, which of course is is possible, looks pretty clearly like it will be the worst month that he has had. In either of the the past two seasons, in 2012, he he really did not have a bad month. His 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 worst month, he hit 330 in <laughs> with not a ton of power. And last year, he uh, was great in every month until September, at which point he, when he played, was a bit better than he has been this year. So this is this is right now uh, looks like he is playing at a, a lower level than he has, or at least results wise worse than he was at any point in the last couple of years. And so even if he salvages it and returns to the same level that he was at the last two seasons, with this one month that's been worse than any other month in those two years, his final his final stats might look a little worse. So this is this is the kind of thing that people were talking about and, and I was talking about that that maybe he has a bad month, which we didn't really see him have the last couple of years. And if he has a bad month, maybe maybe he doesn't command the same kind of contract anymore. If he looks bad for a while, that there was really no way, and we talked about it on the podcast, that, that even if he came out and won two more MVP awards and continued to play at the same level, that it didn't seem like he could make all that much more than he was making from that deal because he would be older and maybe a, an aging profile that kind of scares teams a little bit, and so they were they were wagering uh, that you know that he would walk away, and it didn't seem like they were getting much upside there, right. much potential savings. So, yes. So, so all that being said, uh, you you might be right that there are reasons to think that he is the best. So, so is Pujols then? A consensus among us worst one of these deals just no because... no no i i think cabrera is the worst deal. So, <laughs> but you made such a great case i let me let me let me ask you uh, uh i don't know i don't actually know which one i'm very bad at at comparing contracts of radically different shapes si- you know sizes and shapes yeah. I, I always find this difficult to do and i'm not sure there is a right answer mm-hmm. um but let me re- let me rephrase the question slightly this is not actually not or rephrasing so much as a totally different question but the numbers I gave you for Howard and Pools, which are rounded in estimates, but they add up to $288 million. 
uh, over 11 years. The number I gave you for Cabrera was $288 million over 10 years. So who you got? The two, would you rather have Howard and Pujols for $288 million or Cabrera for $288 million? Well, in a practical sense, what do you do with two oh. of these guys? <laughs> I mean, but you're a de- you're a you're a uh, bad contract fence. You're not uh, actually going to use these deals. You're just going to I go see. sell them on the open market I somehow. Um, I think I'd rather just have the one. Yeah, uh, I think that. Yeah, uh, that's that. That's right. Yeah, uh, I think that I would probably. Um, I think that my feeling is that. Boy, Cabrera for seven. If you take out Howard's portion, you have Cabrera for seven and two hundred and um, and eight extra million dollars. Uh, I think I, I. I don't know, man. I think what. I I, I think that uh, even if this is not mathematically correct, uh, the aesthetics of it are just too much for me to get past. I will say that Howard is the one I want the least. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that probably Pujols is the one I want the most. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he he was so much better than Cabrera, at, as you noted today. He was so much better at Cabrera than Cabrera when he was, you know, on. Like his his five best years are just so much better than Cabrera's five best years. And so I would I would sort of gamble on his health uh, at this point to some degree and say that I'd take him over Cabrera at those prices and, mm-hmm. and the extra and the extra $80 million that comes with it. Uh-huh. Okay. Reasonable. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Did you watch the GIF I just sent you? Yes. So, this is Puig hitting a triple while we were talking, mm-hmm. and you'll notice his slide. Mm-hmm. It's a five-point celebration. There are five distinct <laughs> moves of celebration. It's like, <laughs> is Puig the first player... To have a closer <laughs> celebration who is not actually a relief pitcher. He's got, okay, so he does this. I'll, I'll link to this point, so people can watch it. But... Swing, and then kiss, and then a little, uh, at the very end, a little like uh, with his fist, like a little wave with his fist. So yes. uh, <laughs> it's, it's sort of an, an off balance slide. And then yeah, he. You could almost make the case that the slide itself is itself celebratory, that he is going out of his way somehow. That like what is that right? Because he kind of he goes like horizontal. <laughs> he comes in perpendicular to the bag mm-hmm. instead of parallel. Or no, he comes in parallel to the bag instead of perpendicular or whatever. He comes in the way people don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So there's a there's a point, and then there's sort of a a hand sweeping gesture, almost a clap in a uh, way. And, uh, and that's that goes into a swing. That's a clap swing, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then there is he hits uh, in a, This is great because the swing is like he's hitting a metaphoric home run, a metaphorical home run. Uh-huh. But he's an actual baseball player who just hit a triple. <laughs> you know, like he does the home run swing, like you and I would do. Like if I went, if if I had a business meeting and you're like, how'd it go? And I went, knocked it out of the park. Uh-huh. Except he's literally a baseball player who just knocked it in the park. <laughs> right. <laughs> And so then he does the the point to the heavens, and uh, then he also does a bit of a fist pump at the end. <laughs> so, yeah, the little really every pump. possible <laughs> version of celebration. Of course, it was a pretty big hit. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, kinda. They, it, <laughs> they already it, had it, the lead. Two one <laughs> lead into a three one lead in the seventh <laughs> against a non division opponent in April. <laughs> Not the biggest hit. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. We will we will link to this in the Facebook group if you want to watch it along with us. All right. So that's that. We'll be back with one more show tomorrow. Please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to BaseballReference.com, subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription.